Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you can turn to Philippians chapter number two today. Philippians chapter number two this morning. Remember, this is our only service. Amen. Today, I'm going to allow you to recoup from too much food and too much eggnog and your paper cuts. Amen. We trust that you've had a great time with your family this holiday season. Philippians chapter number 2, I'm going to begin with verse number 12. We are in our Philippians series here. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. For a little while today, as a, as a little subject uh, to hold this thing together, we'd like to talk to you today, empty yourself full. I know it don't sound right, but empty yourself full full. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to help us here this morning. God, we're so grateful. God, I pray Jesus for your word. God, let it stand upright in our lives. God, it's by your word that it gives direction and guidance to our lives. God, the same word, the books that will be open at Judgment Day someday to Lord Jesus, give an account, Lord God, and to measure us against. I pray, oh God, I need it in my life today and every day and will not fail, Lord, to thank you, Jesus, for what you accomplish in our lives. In the lovely name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And the church say amen. You may be seated this morning. I'd like to read verses 12 and 13, if you, if I may, one more time, but in the classic amplified version. The Bible says, Therefore, my dear ones, as ye have always obeyed my suggestions, so now not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent, work out, cultivate. Carry out to the goal, fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Last week we considered 
the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that matter, from the very beginning of this lesson, we looked at how the Apostle Paul addressed his letter to the Philippian church, and he said, me and Timothy are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We considered last week how the Bible described that how God thought it, that Jesus thought it not robbery being equal with God, and he came down not just in the form of a man, but in the, in the likeness and in the form of a servant or a slave. And so we examined then the Lord emptying himself, if you will. He, he didn't take claim to all of the grandeur of heaven but he humbled himself as humanity and mankind and came among you and I and how that was the ultimate example for us to follow to take that same road of humility if you will uh, for our purposes today to empty ourselves full because there is a completeness that really takes place in the emptying of ourselves and we saw how Jesus esteemed others from last week better than himself and how he looked on the needs and the affairs of others and their things and patterning our lives after that when we look at him as the example like that's what we're supposed to follow it's very easy then sometimes to feel greatly inadequate uh, to be able to pattern ourselves after the way of Christ attempting to achieve what would seem like to us an unreachable goal how in the world can I ever uh, you know go that route or follow that path or emulate that type of life and yet the apostle Paul explains how this can be achieved it's not achieved it's not achieved by Jesus doing everything and it's not achieved by us doing nothing. And it's not achieved by us doing, if you will, the things that Jesus did and him just cheering us on and coaxing us along the way to strive unto the completion of the finished end. But it is what we've been talking about for weeks now, this fellowship or this partnership that we entered into of us and the Lord. Right, A participation, a degree of participation that's required both from the Lord but also from us as well. Uh, we're not sitting along the sidelines and saying, I'm just going to let the Lord fight my battles and not ever pick up a sword. We understand that we're in a partnership. And so on one hand here in Philippians, there is our human responsibility. Our human responsibility. But even that does not take place without God's divine enablement for us in order to be empowered to do what he would desire for us to do. The salvation that appears here in Scripture says we are working out. We're working out our own salvation, but we're working it out because we've been empowered by the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. Or Paul McGee wouldn't even be able to work anything out had not the spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost came into my life. And so God is working through us. Amen. He is working through us. Amen. And we have been chosen to surrender to his will. We've been chosen to surrender to his work. And we make a choice every day to continue that. And as we choose that every day in our surrender and in our obedience, that is the means in which we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus, the example, the Bible told us in verse number eight, as the example, he was obedient unto death. And Paul praises the Philippians because he tells them, you have always obeyed, he says. 
You have always obeyed whether I was present or even like now when I am absent because of being in prison. You have always obeyed. And so he's already admonished them in Philippians. He said, conduct yourselves not as citizens of Philippi. Don't conduct yourselves as as citizens of the world. He says, but conduct yourselves as citizens of whom you are a citizen of, a citizen of heaven. He's already admonished them to do that. He's saying, whether I'm absent as your pastor or whether I'm present, he said, conduct yourself as that. And he says, you've always obeyed, but now he said, I'm calling you to do it even much more, much be much more obedient now because I am in prison. And in this, Paul is showing them what? That as Christ was obedient, and they've been very consistent about being obedient too, he's letting them know, you can do this, Christ did it, you can do it, you've had done it, but I need you to continue to do it. And I need you to do it more so now because I'm not physically there to encourage you. I'm not physically there to uphold your arms, if you will, but you need to keep doing what you did from the beginning. That's important. The Message Bible says the phrase like this, you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. From the beginning of what? From the beginning of the start of your relationship with the Lord. You need to keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. And here's here's how that fits into the mindset of obedience. Because whenever someone receives the baptism of the gift of the Holy Ghost, they've entered such a state of total surrender. Right? And obedience to the Spirit of God in that moment that the book of James says that tongue that no man contains. That's what the scripture says. That tongue that no man can tame, yet in our surrender, in our obedience to God of all of our members, God uses that tongue. Amen. And you begin to speak in a language you've never been taught. You do not know a heavenly language. You begin to speak in other tongues and God is working in you and God is working through you as you speak in other tongues as you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul is saying now to Philippians, you need to keep with that same measure of surrender and keep with that same measure of obedience as you did the very day that you received the gift of the Holy Ghost because you were so surrendered then, a member of your body that no man could tame. God came down and controlled. He says if you'll keep that same obedience, huh, You'll be able to walk a victorious life as a Christian. Amen. Amen. Because you're going to walk after the pattern of the Lord. You're going to be humble. You're going to humble yourself before God. You're going to relinquish control unto the Lord. And so if I can keep that level of surrender, if I can keep that level of obedience that I had when I received the Holy Ghost, mm -hmm, at that initial infilling, I guarantee you this, we would live a a more profitable and a more victorious life if we kept the same obedience and the same surrender when we first received him. I talked just a few weeks ago how salvation is is a very elastic word because uh, whenever we receive the Holy Ghost, we're saved from our sin and there's sanctification, uh, which is the separation of our lives, how we live separate lives and we're separated then every day from the power of sin and that someday there is the salvation of glorification. The Bible says there will be the redemption of our body. I believe Galatians says the redemption of our body and that won't take place until rapture day. So uh, salvation is a very elastic word and it is a 
process. And so it, here it seems, though, in Philippians, when he speaks to us, that we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That working out our salvation seems to, seems to be relating to the sanctification part of salvation. That separatedness, that set-apartness. Amen. And there are some separation details that take place in our lives after we've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And yet that sanctification requires the same obedience as when I received the Holy Ghost. And that sanctification requires the same uh, uh, surrender even as when I received the Holy Ghost. And so our salvation in totality isn't realized, especially in our bodies, until the day of rapture. But until that day takes place, Brother Terry, we are working out our salvation through sanctification, through surrender, through obedience to what? To the power of the Spirit that we receive when we receive the Holy Ghost. We're working that out through the power of the spirit that's in us that's saying this is what I desire, this is what I will, and this is what I purpose for your life. I got that spirit inside of me desiring things, wanting things, purposing things for my life. And when I give over to it, God's will is done in my life. When I surrender to it, his purpose is accomplished in my life. The Bible says in Acts 2 and verse number 40, it says, this is right here, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of the Lord has been poured out upon the 120 in the upper room. 3,000 souls are saved. And the Bible says these words, Acts 2 and verse 40. And with many other words did he, speaking of Peter, testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now, first of all, it says with many other words did Peter testify and exhort. These are one of those times I wish I knew what Peter said. I'm just saying, really, it just kind of sums it up with many other words. I wish I knew what else Peter said to them after they received the Holy Ghost. Amen. But he exhorted them after this and said, save yourselves from this untoward, this, this warped, this crooked, this perverse generation. But notice the summary. Evidently, we don't know all the words that he said because it doesn't tell us. But we do know this from verse 40. The summary of all that he did say. The summary if it was just one sentence to wrap up everything that he did say that we don't know, the summary of all that he did say was just this solitary phrase of sanctification. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Paul says the same thing in Philippians, basically. Work out. He said a lot, but he summed it up all like this. Work out. Your own salvation, save yourselves, if you will, from this untoward generation. The New Living Translation, uh, speaking there of verse number 12, states it like this. says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. The, uh, this is a newer version of the Bible that's out. It's called the Passion Translation. It says, now you must continue to make this new life fully manifested as you live. Whew. I like that. Because Paul's writing to the Philippian church, the Philippian church, he's talking to saints. He's talking to saints. And he tells them the way that you conduct your lives and what you obey and what you disobey is either going to help or hinder that full manifestation of what you received 
when you receive the Holy Ghost. The Philippians are exhorted to carry their salvation to its conclusion. That's really what working out their salvation. Carry your salvation to its conclusion. Namely, in what way? In Christ's likeness. That you would be formed into the image of God's son, right? J.I. Packer said it like this. He said, identify with your new nature. Oh, God. Identify with your new nature. You got a new nature? Behold, all things become new. Identify with your new nature. William Barclay said it like this. Don't stop halfway. Oh, I've been, I've been blood bought, mercy sought, filled the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, but is there any manifestation of sanctification? Is, is there anything lived out in your life? Don't stop halfway. Right? We all, from years and years ago, they always say, whenever you receive the Holy Ghost, that was your birth certificate. Right? You're just getting started. That's your birth certificate. And so the plea is work out your own salvation. Amen. Hallelujah. And so that sanctification or that salvation is a day-to-day living. No wonder then Peter said that they needed to save themselves from this untoward generation or that we need to sanctify themselves. And that concept, that idea, here it is again. It's not something that's obscure throughout Scripture, the idea of sanctifying ourselves. Here's the thing. You cannot get too heavy on the side of the work you're supposed to do or the work that God's supposed to do. you got to keep in perspective you both need to be involved. Because people in churches sometimes live on opposite ends of the spectrums. Oh, I, I got to work for the Lord, right? And then you become some legalist as though it's by your works you're saved. But then you can go to the other opposite end of the spectrum. It's like, well, it's God's work. Bless God. As though you can do whatever you want to do and God's still going to keep you in his kingdom. And that's just ignorance. We are both involved. Look, Leviticus 11 and verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. And ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creep upon the earth. Another place, Leviticus 20 and verse 7. Sanctify yourselves therefore, and be ye holy, for I am your Lord your God. There's other places in Numbers and Joshua throughout the Old Testament. Lead into the New Testament where those words of sanctify yourselves are there. But at least note in the two verses in Leviticus, the command to sanctify themselves is tied to the fact That the Lord is your God. The Lord is your God. And so there's one thing that we can derive from this. Is that people, yes, they should reflect the God that they worship. And that does happen. But the other thing that we need to realize is this. The ability to sanctify ourselves is to attach to the fact that God is empowering the work because he's our God. Amen. Their obedience Not to defile themselves, as Leviticus said, with any manner of creeping thing brings about sanctification. Yet it is God that gives each and every one of us the ability to refuse what needs to be refused. To refuse the creeping things. And so as we are refusing all the while, God is empowering us to say no. Oh yeah. We still have a choice. I mean, that's from the very beginning of Eden forward. Man's always going to have a choice, right? That's where surrender and obedience come into place. We always have a choice, but whenever you choose in alignment with what God will choose, he's going to empower you. 
Do you understand me? Whenever you choose in alignment with what God would choose for your life, he will empower you. So you don't have to sit there and think, well, I don't know. I don't know about, you know, quitting this or quitting that or doing this or doing that. Honey, if it falls in alignment with the word of God and you choose what he would choose for you, he'll empower you to be successful. Amen. Empower you to be successful. The Greek scholar King Lefouis said, it is not a let go and let God affair. It's a take hold with God business. Philippians 1.6, God, as we've seen in weeks past, God begun the work as it was stated and that he'll perform it against that day. But here, so God will, 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 will begin it and he'll perform it against that day. But here, then Paul tells us, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But again, lies the concept of the fellowship of the Spirit that we've been speaking of. It involves our participation with the Spirit. It's not within us as humans to do the will of God. It's not within us as humans to do the God's good pleasure. But God works in us toward those ends of his will and his good pleasure. We work out, and I'm not talking about pumping iron, Brother Zach McGee's not here, but he does that. We work out by faith, by obedience, by surrender, what God works into our lives. And that is our partnership. For it's God which worketh. And because he's working, we need to work because God is at work in our lives. It's a partnership. So some verses of Scripture say, sanctify yourselves. And yet there's other verses that say, in the very God of peace, sanctify you holy. So see, there it is. What's going on? In one place, he tells us to sanctify ourselves. On the other place, he says he'll sanctify us. Am I supposed to do it? He's supposed to do it. Yes. <laughs> Am I supposed to do it or is he supposed to do it? Yes. It's a paradox of sorts, and we see these paradoxes all throughout the Scripture whenever we consider God. Lose your life, you'll find it. Right? Try to save your life, you'll lose it. It's kind of a weird thing, but that's just the way it works. When we're weak, then you're, when, then you're strong. That don't really make much sense, does it? But it's a paradox, and it works in the kingdom of God. I mean, for instance, Jesus, he's fully God, fully man. Right? Oh, there's, there, you know, scripture written over a space of 1,500 years, and 40-some writers, men are writing it, but it's inspired by God. One author, but they wrote it. You have all these different things. It seems to be a paradox of sorts. And so when we come to this in Philippians, we work out our salvation by being obedient to the work of God that he's doing in us and through us. It's like, how do you wrap your mind around that? Because it's by his spirit that we're enabled to choose his good pleasure over our own. Here's what the apostle said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, Bible today. Again, this is where one of those areas is like talking from both sides of your mouth. It would seem. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored. Look at this. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. So in one point he says, by, by God's grace, I am what I am. And then another place he said, but I labored. Well who's, well, who's working here? Paul or Christ? Yes. Amen. Yes, both of them are. Paul said that it's not I that live, but it's Christ that, what, lives in me. Amen. It looks like me work. It looks like by all appearances that I'm working it out. But actually, it's through my choice. 
and through my surrender to God that God is really directing his will and his actions in my life according to his good pleasure. To Brother Fred, it looks like I'm working it out. But what he can't see is the hand of God working it out through me because I surrendered to him and his spirit inside of me. Amen. We see this again in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Amen. Chapter number 13 and verse 20 and 21. This is in the New American Standard Bible. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, that is, Jesus our Lord. Here it is, verse 21. Equip you in every good thing to do his will. The Lord is doing this. Equip you to do every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He says he's equipping you to do not your will. He's equipping you to do his will. He's working in you. That spirit's working in you. Amen. To do what is pleasing in his sight, not in your own sight. Right? That happens when we surrender to God. It's like in Ezra chapter number one. The Bible tells us that uh, here are all the deportations of the people to the different captivity that they had been in for 70 years. And Cyrus finally made a proclamation that they could come back home and they could rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. And the Bible says this in Ezra one, that God stirred up the spirits of the priests and the Levites to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the house of the Lord. And so just as a, a common person on the land, well, there goes the, the Levites and there go the priests back to Jerusalem. They're, look at the work that they're doing, uh, building up the house of the Lord. But in reality, it was God who stirred up the spirit. God stirred up the spirit of the Levite and the priest to go back and build up the work of the Lord. God inspired them. God empowered them. Just to the normal man, it looks like they were working it out, but it was really them surrendering to what God was desiring to do. He stirred up their spirits. They're going back and they're building up the wall and they're building up the temple. Amen. No wonder then that the apostle told in the Thessalonians, I believe it is, he told us not to quench the spirit. Huh? Not to quench the spirit. Why? Because when you quench the Holy Ghost in your life, when you quench the spirit of God, and I'm not just talking about taking a lap or clapping a hand or praying. When you quench the spirit of God in your life, then you are squelching the work of God in your life. Oh, yes. Because he's wanting to work in you, through you, to accomplish his purpose and his will. Verse 14, it's one thing. It's one thing. For God to work in us to will and to do the good pleasure of the Lord. And it's another thing for us to do those things without murmurings and disputes. He says in verse 14, do all things. All things. All things are the very things that God willed and that God empowered us to do that are pleasing to him. Here's the thing, though. Everything that's pleasing to God isn't pleasing to our flesh. Has anybody ever experienced that? That there's some things that pleases God that doesn't please you? (laughs) And so do all things without murmurings and disputings. Whoa, hello. See, because murmuring, murmuring's not that loud, outspoken dissatisfaction. Murmuring is not that thing that you scream from the housetop. Murmuring is the little undertone of... As a matter of fact, uh, in the Greek language, it's, it's related to the cooing of a dove. Just subtle, 
That little, that, you know what I'm talking about. That, that's what it's related to, the murmurings. In the New Testament, in one place, murmurings is, is, is described in such that it's impatience toward what is not understood. Because God has a will sometimes we don't understand. And his ways are higher in our ways and his thoughts is higher in our thoughts. So we got to come to the conclusion there's sometimes we're not going to understand what God desires. Well, glory. See, Moses and the children of Israel, they sang praises to God because God got them through the Red Sea, right? Drowned their foe, the Egyptians in the Red Sea there in their wilderness journeys. But the nation of Israel... They did not complete their journey through the wilderness without murmurings, disputings, and complaints. As a matter of fact, so you got to get this in your mind. They went through the Red Sea. Man, Miriam, she's got the tambourine. They're dancing and singing their song that they just created for what God did. Three days later, everybody say three days. Three days later, guess what? They're murmuring and complaining. <laughs> three, three days. I mean, Christ resurrected on the third day, and they went to complaining, you know, murmuring on the third day because there was the waters of Mara were not fit to drink. As a matter of fact, you see many times throughout the Scripture, here is Israel murmuring and complaining. They won't shout it on the housetop from their tent, but they'll mumble it to their neighbor. They might, and they did sometimes just boldfacedly, you know, come against what seemed to be Moses and Aaron, although God said, they're not really coming against you, they're coming against me. But they would dispute whatever was being spoken. Moses says, we need to travel today because the cloud is moving. Get your tents and go and I can hear somebody. Well, I don't want to travel today. <laughs> we need to work out what's been worked in. And it's amazing sometimes how cut and dry some of the expectations of God can be through the word of the Lord. And yet they can become, it seems like, in church settings, topics of dispute among us to whether it should be done or shouldn't be done. Sometimes they're argued among people and congregations. You know, this is expressed in its word, but this is what that really means. What is that murmurings? disputes against what God desires, what God wants. See, I find out most people will disagree with the word whenever it's not saying what they would like it to say for them in the moment. Huh? You don't hear a bald man complaining about a comb because he never uses it. But when it comes in contact with your life, you might have an opinion on the matter. Well, happy post-Christmas. Huh? And sometimes our murmurings and our disputes are because we don't understand, again, his will or what his good pleasure is to him. Because we're wanting to cater to our will. I'm wanting to cater to Paul McGee right here. Huh? Uh, and what really happened is this. I've let down on my side of this partnership and participation. Huh? I'm not obeying. I'm not surrendering as I did when I first received him. Amen. <laughs> but when we allow God to work in our lives and we don't contest what he desires to do. Then it helps preserve, as you see in verse 15, a blamelessness and a harmlessness in us. 
And he says, Paul says, if you'll do these things without disputes and without murmuring, he said, you'll be blameless, you'll be harmless, and you'll be able to live in the world successfully, although it is crooked and it is perverse, and you'll be able to maintain your citizenship and your identity of another world when you allow that to be worked out what's been worked in. He says, you'll be able to be sons of God in a crooked and a perverse world. Look at it in verse number 15. He says, you'll be able to let your light shine, right? Shine, not selectively. Not selectively, but completely. You'll be able to abstain from walking the road of a hypocrite. Oh, God. He says, because you're going you're gonna to hold a measure blamelessness and harmlessness Because listen, blamelessness and harmlessness, that's not solely just for the purpose of other Christians. That's for the purpose of the non-Christian. The reason why, he says, I want you to be successful and obtain this blamelessness and harmlessness. Uh, to, To be blameless is to be uncontaminated. To be harmless, I've told you before, it's terminology from, it's a boxing terminology that used in, in Greek. And it basically means that you can't get a handle on someone. That a person has themselves positioned away in boxing, that the other boxer can get a handle on them or get an upper hand on them. It's positioning yourself in such a way they can't get a hand on you. He says you live your life like that for Christ in such a way that criticism and disdain and all these things. It's not saying they couldn't, but they're least likely to. Get a hand on you. He says, we got to do that not just for our fellow Christians, but we got to do that for non-Christians whose world we're living in. Hear me today. Because God's desire for us is that we would choose surrender and obedience that we could live like that. Notice, and we mentioned this, I think, last week. You know, Abraham and Lot, there were strife between each of their herdsmen. And Abraham told Lot, he said, hey, let there not be strife between you and I because we be brothers. But there's something that he said in addition to or beyond just them being brothers. He also said, I don't want strife between you and me, Lot, because the Canaanite, this is what he said. You can read it in Genesis 13, 7. The Canaanite and the Perizzite dwell in the land what were those those were the people they were going to drive out of the land those were the people if you will that was their modern day world he says the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwell in the land right now and what good is it going to do them if they see us striving it's not about just keeping the unity between me and you lot it's what are we projecting to the world that's around us he says, what, what, would they, what would they conclude about if you and I, being relatives, were striving and here we are coming into their land? They would probably think that we're going to be easy prey. We're going to be easy to fight because we already got a fight among ourselves. Amen. Amen. And so furthermore, when we stray away from the will and the good pleasure of the Lord, for instance, like the Old Testament King David did, when we ignore our partnership with God as King David did, and when we don't work out what God is working in us like King David did concerning his sin and his deed with Bathsheba, which was horrific, that led to other sins of of Uriah being killed. As a matter of fact, if you trace whenever David sinned with Bathsheba and you start to trace his life, he almost, not quite, but almost broke all of the Ten Commandments that spawned from that sin with Bathsheba 
But whenever you see all of this, here's what Nathan the prophet then said to David when he gave him the parable about the ewe lamb. And he said, thou art the man, everything that unfolded in 2 Samuel chapter number 12. This is what he said. He said, David, by what you have done, he said, you've given a great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You've given them an occasion to basically say, what use is serving their God if life is like this, that's really no different from our own. So blamelessness, harmlessness, so you can live as sons of God without rebuke. And a perverse and a crooked nation. David was not blameless. He was not harmless. He was not without rebuke. He was supposed to be King David. He was supposed to be the leader of Israel. He was supposed to be the shining light, if you will, among all the other nations of the world. But instead, he contributed more to the darkness than he did the light. And in all of this stuff, folks, there's more than just my reputation at stake and your reputation at stake. There is the reputation of God that is at stake because we are supposed to be the sons of God whom we represent to the world. Amen? During Jesus' lifetime, yes, he was the expression of the invisible God. He was the image of the invisible God, both in nature and in character. That's when they sing Jesus, they sing God. Amen? He was the expression of that. But whenever he ascended, you know who is the expression of that now? His church. His church that's living in the earth. We are the expression of the invisible God now should be in both nature and character. We are the sons of God and we got to ask ourselves, how are we shining his light in today's darkness? We can. If we'll surrender and obey, he'll work out in us what he desires for today's generation and era. Shine his lights in the world. Amen. Shine his lights in the world. Jesus said in his earthly ministry, he said, I am the light of the world. He said in the book of John, he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's what he said. I am the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So all throughout his ministry, all throughout those 33 and a half years that he was upon the earth, he was the light of the world. But upon his ascension, you know what the Bible proclaims in Matthew? Amen. And what we are now, we are the lights of the world. Amen. And we need to be. Because Paul in Corinthians said that the God of this world have blinded the minds of them that believe not. So the only hope for, for them of this world who's been blinded, if you will, the only hope is the light of the gospel which you and I are peddlers of. Without the light shining unto them, guess what? They'll remain blinded in their unbelief. He's blinded the eyes of them that believe not. They need a light. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Look again, the appearance is your good works. <laughs> but your good works come from God's good pleasure that he's working out in you. That they may see your good works and do what? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. And so we're doing this without rebuke among a crooked and perverse generation. Amen. The Bible says midst a crooked and perverse nation. Uh, one of the Jewish Bibles say among a crooked and perverse generation, you shine like stars in the sky. Not just lights, but as stars in the sky. There are several translations. I've read through several of them. Amen. Throughout the week, several of the translations word this very similarly. 
that this is more than just a word picture talking about uh, luminaries or lights against the dark black side, but as stars in the sky. This is just, this is PM 101, okay? There's nothing else. This is me. But I believe this particular statement that we would be in the midst of a crooked generation and we would shine as stars or lights in the world or stars in the sky. I believe this is somewhat of a reference to the descendants of Abraham of the Old Testament, who when God spoke to promise to him that your descendants are going to be many, not only will they be as the sand of the sea, but they'll be as the stars or the lights in the sky. That's how his descendants were to be. They were to be the, 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 the descendants of Abraham, Israel. They were to be a nation among nations. They were to be God's particular treasure that he had to be unique, set apart, blameless, harmless. Amen. To showcase himself to the world. And I believe what Paul was trying to convey is that the church in the church dispensation and generation is to be similar to the descendants of Abraham. As they were to be the stars of heaven, the church is to be the stars of heaven. And I'm not just speaking about a number, but in being that special treasure of God. That is unique. That is set aside. That should demonstrate what God is like among the world. We shine as the lights of the world. How do we do this? The Bible says we do it by holding forth the word of life. If you'll allow me to here today, if you'll turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter number 1. And this is a short little chapter. So if you didn't get your Bible reading in yet today, let me get it in for you. 1 John chapter number 1. We shine forth as lights in the world by holding forth the word of life. Verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and shew unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. This is all a recounting of Jesus, God being made flesh. And known as the man Jesus Christ. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship, there's that partnership with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. There's that partnership one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, amen, surrendering to the white, being obedient to the light, then he's going to shine. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Great verse. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The whole chapter, the whole chapter of first John chapter number one extends from the people having handled, you can see in the first few verses, having handled the word of life. That word that had become flesh through the life of Christ Jesus, and they had fellowship with him, they say, and with God by virtue of him, because to wit, God was in Christ. And his message was clear, they said, that he was light and that his blood could cleanse us, even cleanse us from sin, and that light 
That is the light that a crooked in this generation and that generation. That is the light that a crooked and perverse nation needs. A light that you can have fellowship with that can cleanse people from sin. That can alter their way. And so we shine like this, of course. We shine like this due to what we're holding on to, the word of life. Amen. Holding forth the word of life. Again, it goes beyond just telling people about Jesus. It goes beyond just telling people about the Lord. Holding forth, here we go. Holding forth the word of life. Again, more than just telling, holding forth the word of life encompasses living that life in front or in view of others. It's more bishop than me saying, you need to know the Lord. It's live, it's him working in me his good pleasure in will and living that as a light, not selectively. Living that as a light. It's not simply telling people, but it's living it, not telling it, but living it. And so when we center our lives around the word of life and we hold it, we keep it, we safeguard it. In the day of Christ, this is Paul coming back into the picture. He said, in the day of Christ, he's talking about rapture. He's talking about the catching of way. He says, if you all do that, if you hold it, if you safeguard it, if you live it before others, if you practice that, blameless, all this stuff, if you work out what he's worked in, in the day of Christ, on rapture catch away day, he said, then me and people like me, other pastors and missionaries and people that have spoken the word of truth to you, he said, our race. And he said, and I'll feel like our labors will not have been in vain and will not be empty, that we will not have wasted our time and energy on things that supposedly to others didn't matter. He said, because there's a lot of other things people could involve themselves in, but there's really only one thing that truly matters. So Paul says, if they've done everything as I've urged them to do, he says, I'm going to be joyful and rejoice, and you'll be joyful and rejoice with me Likewise, as a matter of fact, Paul says, if I die while I'm doing this, yet you keep the faith. I die in this journey while doing this and propagating this, yet you keep the faith. He said, I'm going to do it with joy. I'm going to rejoice as a result of it because I will not have run a race in vain. You will have caught what I have taught. He says, I'll be offered upon it. You can look at it. There are the last few verses. He said, I'll be offered upon the sacrifice, which is very, very, very interesting be offered upon the sacrifice. Paul is making an analogy here. He's saying, I'll be the drink offering. In the book of Numbers, you can see this. Almost every large, any sacrifice, almost any sacrifice that was offered had accompanying it a drink offering. You'd have this large sacrifice, and many times they'd pour out the drink offering either on the sacrifice or beside the sacrifice. It was required. You can see it in the book of Numbers 15. The drink offering seemed to accompany the larger sacrifice. It was required, and this small thing, a drink offering, not much. It had different measures according to what sacrifice you brought. This small thing brought this major offering, it seemed, to completeness. And so Paul describes himself in terms as the drink offering. I'm the lesser part. That's the way Paul is putting it. I'm the lesser part of the sacrifice that's poured up on this major part. Here's the thing, though. Paul's saying then that our joy and rejoicing can only be found when our lives are committed to and poured out as an accompanying drink offering alongside the larger sacrifice 
And the larger sacrifice we're talking about is the sacrifice of Christ. He said that was the main offering. He said all of our lives are just accompanying drink offerings that's poured out at that one. Now, no. Well, what about the completeness, Brother McGee? Say it's required and it, it completes the larger offering. Listen. Listen to me very closely. The completeness brought about by my participation, as Paul's saying, as the drink offering, isn't so much that I'm completing Jesus' sacrifice, but that I complete his sacrifice in me. Are you hearing me? That I complete his sacrifice in me when I pour myself out. Sacrifice of Calvary is complete. It's a done deal. But it's not complete for you. And it's not complete for you until you surrender and you pour yourself out. Then what happened on Calvary becomes complete. And here's the amazing thing. That's the working out our salvation. We bring it, we're bringing it to completion. We are emptying ourselves full. We are emptying ourselves full because we're the drink offering that is poured out through our obedience and through our surrendering. And that major offering of Calvary, that major offering, amen, of Golgotha is completed in me as I pour myself out and I empty myself up full. Amen. Because now the will of God can be done in me because I've emptied Paul McGee out. The purpose of God can be done in me because I've emptied Paul McGee out. His sacrifice becomes complete in me. And if I'll do that during this daily life from day to day, when rapture comes, there'll come the redemption of my body. The thing that was started when I was eight years old and filled with the Holy Ghost and that daily I try to work out by virtue of obedience, by virtue of surrender to the Spirit that I got. And I try to do that daily when the trump of God sounds. Amen. Hopefully the pastors that I've had in my life will say, hallelujah, my work wasn't in vain. This hasn't been a waste. And I'll rejoice and they'll rejoice. Why? Because I have poured out out myself full. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand with me today. So, I admonish you today. Leave here and work out your own salvation. And in saying that, I'm telling you this, surrender. Obey. Because when you do, your help comes. And you can walk victoriously. And you can walk. Sometimes you're going to make a mistake, but you're going to walk triumphantly. You're going to further along in your maturity journey with the Lord. Because you're not murmuring and fighting against his will. Amen. And one of these days, by and by when it's all over, I'm going to rejoice. You're going to rejoice. Because you were shining lights in the perverse and a crooked generation. You were without rebuke, blameless, harmless. How I can't do that, Brother Mickey. You can. But you can be obedient to the spirit that can enable you and empower you to be what he wants you to be. If we bow our heads here today, God, I come to you this morning. God, we need you today. 
God, we can't do this without you, Lord. It is a common prayer of mine. God, when I bend my knee and I pray, God, from day to day, I say, God, I can't make it through this day without you. God, I can't, Lord, make it through this day without you. I need you, Lord, in my life. God, and I need you more than just as a bystander or someone that's sitting along the sidelines. I need you as an active participant in my life. And that will only take place if I choose to let go and surrender, amen, to the will of the Spirit in my life. I pray, oh God, help us to walk that type of victorious life. God, in our age and our society, help us to be as stars in the sky, lights, Lord, in the darkness of a perverse and a crooked world. I pray, God, they need to see the hope of a light. They need to see the hope, Lord, of a Christ that has the abilities through his blood to cleanse us from all sin. God, let us pick up, Lord God, the baton of sanctifying ourselves all the while while you sanctify us. I pray, oh Lord, there's power in our faith. There's power in our surrender. There's power, Lord Jesus, in pouring ourselves out, Lord, until we're full. God, it doesn't, Lord, just to state it and speak it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, Lord Jesus, come together and, and sound like a, 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 a intelligent sentence but God it is the way your kingdom works it's an upside down right side up kingdom it's a saving to lose and a losing to save God type of kingdom God it's a when we're weak we are strong type of kingdom I pray oh God today help us Lord to surrender Lord to the power and the majesty of our God I pray oh Lord today as saints of the living God you have hopes you have aspirations for us Lord that are bigger and grander God than what we would have for ourselves but they'll be realize God whenever we submit ourselves to the mighty hand of God and when we submit to you God James says we can submit ourselves unto God and then we can resist the enemy and we will he will flee God perhaps Lord our resistance is low because our submission is low help us oh God to submit to you help us oh God to give ourselves to you I pray oh God today we live Lord in a society that's in need of a God Lord and the God that is still yet being expressed in the world today is through his church and through his people. I pray, oh Lord, help us, God, to represent you well as we walk among those, Lord, that are still in need, still hungry, still thirsty. God, for something beyond themselves. God, and will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for accomplishing it and doing it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Hallelujah and amen and amen. Can someone say amen? Hallelujah. Again, there is no service this evening, uh, folks, but uh, there is a connect groups on Wednesday. Amen. Come and be a part of that. Also, I believe, Sister Jen Adams, that there are several uh, surplus items in the food bank uh, that need to find homes. If people are interested, I don't know what's all back there, but if you're interested, you can go uh, back there or ask Sister Jen and she can uh, tell you what is available. And so, you know, maybe with some of your leftover fixings of the holidays, maybe there's something back there you'd like to throw along with it. Amen. So on and so forth. Uh, But that's back there. And so you can go back there uh, whenever the children, of course, are dismissed in order to do so. Amen. We love you all and appreciate you. Hope you have a great rest of a week here of holiday. And if you're traveling back uh, to where you come from, we pray that you have safe travels as well. Amen. God bless you this morning in Jesus name. Please shake hands. Amen. With our guests and those that are visiting family. Amen. So on and so forth. God bless you in Jesus name. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.